0: My name is Andy Cahill. I'm a transformational coach, and I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an incredible array of practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with your friends and colleagues, subscribing on Apple Podcasts, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Eitan Shapira. I've known Eitan for about three years now. We first met when I heard him speak at the Harvard Innovation Lab, and he blew me away with his research on the intersection of the artistic mind, cultural transformation, and leadership in human development. He's the founder of Tilt, a culture design and transformation firm focused on helping global leaders, organizations, and governments instill the conditions that help people be more collaborative, adaptive, and transformational. And as you know by now, having listened to this podcast, that's my kind of jam. But Eitan didn't start in leadership. He's a fascinating person. He began his career, his journey as an artist, as a teenager, playing jazz piano and bars around New York City with players decades older than him. From there, he went on to become a fine artist, working with paint as his primary medium studying at the Royal College of Art and Design, where he earned his PhD and spent three years living in an Aboriginal community in Australia, studying the impact of art on cultures of survival. He continues to be a visiting critic at arts institutions internationally. He lectures at MIT Sloan School of Management. And he is a deeply passionate person committed to helping every human being thrive. So this conversation is just lovely, and I can't wait for us to dig in. So let's take a moment, get centered. Etan Shapira. Eitan Shapira, how are you, my man? Great to see you. I'm you too. Well. Welcome to the Wonder Dome.
1: Yeah. yeah, great to be here. And how, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. I'm really glad we we had a little time at the top of this call before I pressed record to reconnect. And uh, I feel really excited. There's a phrase you used in our pre conversation this idea of doing life giving work, and the way that your wife is doing life giving work, and the way that you aspire to do life giving work. And my hope is that this conversation, for anyone who hears it, will be psychologically, spiritually, and emotionally life giving. So thank you for bringing that frame into our conversation today. Absolutely. Thank you. So the first time I met Eitan, for those who are listening in, was at the Harvard Innovation Lab, the iLab in Austin, Massachusetts. And I think the name of your presentation, I can't remember, it might have been like Making to Think, which I know is is a, a practice that you've worked with for quite some time. But in that hour and a half, in that space, which was both you sharing the research you've done as a doctoral student and as a consultant and as a leadership development practitioner, and also you inviting everyone in the room and to engage with creative thinking processes that help us see things we always look at in new ways. Like, I left the hour and a half. of like, this mofo knows some stuff. (laughs) Like, this guy is working at the edge of some really cool... Intersections and human development and creativity and leadership and business. And since that, that was maybe, gosh, that might have been a few years ago now, certainly at least a couple of years ago. And since that time, you and I have had a chance to share a number of spaces. The thing that keeps coming through for me is the way you stand for humanity at the biggest, like you are for us as an as a entire global species for all of us thriving, and your commitment to that shows up in really creative and innovative ways. Like somehow you hold the heaviness of that huge mission with a lot of lightness and creativity and playfulness. I really appreciate that about you.
1: Wow. Wow, that's really big. It's a lot to to hold, but I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So I'm wondering if you could, we could maybe start, With that idea, what is it for you that sits at that intersection of creativity and human development? Why is the artistic process and the creative process so important for us as individuals and as a collective? Why has that motivated you all these years?
1: In one word, it would be change. Mm -hmm. Um, We're made to change. And... In my practice in the arts, it's been about honing in, practicing that ability, you know, um, and teaching it when I've served as a uh, a faculty in different universities or whatever, uh, in graduate level where people have committed to art as a practice, it's really about I didn't know at the time, but it was really about development. You know, how do I surprise myself? How do I draw out my potential? And um, now that I have crossed over and go between both sides of, uh, it's it's a fictitious side, Mm. but uh, this leadership, the arts, um, and crossing to lots of different other sectors, it's that practice, our engagement with change, that um, change around us and change internally. That's really, um, yeah, at least what I state, you know, I'm, I'm
0: in, I'm digging into. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Can you say, I'm really like, as soon as you said a phrase, we're made to change, like some, I was like, oh, I want to hear you say more <laughs> about that. How do you know we're made to change? What is it? that that shows that capacity and why do you want to work with that
1: you know i've got two daughters a four and a half year old and a 19 month old Mm. and just watching it's just so um apparent at that moment whereas it's a little bit more hidden or just the complexity of it is is just greater as as we evolve but i just watching them like they're just built to Shift Um, When I work with a piece of clay um, or I'm a painter with, you know, I'm moving the brush on the canvas, it's just this relationship between the interior and the exterior. That is that practice. It's just what do I, you're mirroring and having a conversation with yourself, you know, you might have some, it might be in an emotional domain, it might be in a you know, you just made a mark of some sort and then now it's external and you're saying, wait, what is that? Let me react to that mark. And you're reacting to yourself, but then that's influencing the internal, the internal to the external, and you're going back and forth. And Mm. that practice, that physical practice is so much the same when you see a child do it,
0: Mm.
1: you know, they do something, they cry, there's something that happens, they spill something, whatever it is, they fall. And then you work with an executive and she or he is doing exactly the same thing. Um, and it's, it's uh, we're all in this together and it just gets more and more complex. The ways we fall, the way we spill our milk, the way we uh, interact with the marks we make in the world. Um, we're made to do this. And if we can bring it to our attention, get involved in it, be aware, make it object, and and really dig into, well, how do I do this? Where do I do this? When do I do this? Um, There's some beauty in there Um, and opportunities, potential.
0: When you said make it object, I had this wonderful visual of like taking yourself and seeing yourself as, as clay to be worked with. It's almost like you could put that object that is you and work with it intentionally and shape it as opposed to just being it and taking it whatever shape it is and assuming that's you. Is that is that a, what you mean when you say making an object?
1: Totally uh, all, yes and it's almost like a blind person with a piece of clay.
0: Mm. You
1: know it's like you mm. it's not that you, only that you're looking at what's around you and you're sensing in the real broad sense, in, in, in the, all of your senses. You know your ears are out here, your heart is out there, you know, you're fi- you're feeling and you're moving and manipulating and working with what hasn't been created yet with what you're creating in the moment. It's emerging. It's folding within itself um, at that level. Yeah. yeah. And then unpacking what's happening
0: in the moment and then repacking it. Yeah. My daughter is constantly today. We just went for a walk. And she's constantly narrating what she's doing. And I, and this is my first kid, so I don't know if this is a thing that a lot of kids do. But she's like, put my hand there, put my hand there, put my feet up here. Put... And it's sort of like she, she's trying to climb on something. Every kid loves to climb. And so she's climbing, and she's talking herself through the climbing. And then when she completes it, she goes and repeats it. And then does it faster. And it's like it's like the skill development that you described, the ability to bring on a new shape, a new way to move is so literal for young people. I think that's such a beautiful analogy that, that what, what I hear you saying is we don't lose that as adults. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I think um, my experience with it has been both practicing articulating it to my daughter as well, you know, or to Mm. like what I'm doing so that you can hear me go through that process out loud, which I don't often do. So it's it's still part of us. Mm. And, you know, in that moment, I think two things are happening. Um, One thing that I'm observing is happening is you're ingraining further these practices. Oh yeah. When I do this, this happens. It's like, it's amazing. Like, my daughter's just working on gravity right now. She's just kind of throwing things off, like food off the table and surprised that it keeps falling on the floor and not floating up to the sky. You know, this is amazing, this gravity thing. But she's like talking through it and she's surprised, like, oh, fall down. And she, like, each time, you know, working through that, I love it. Um, and then I, and to me, you know, I'm working like, yeah, it falls down. And then the other side of it too is that you do that for 20, 30, 40, 50 years you're going through this thing why would i change mm. everything i've done until now has gotten me to where i am yeah. and then this is how things work
0: yeah
1: uh i know it i've tried it this many times why should i try it differently um and so both are happening and walking people to like unpack that you know, I look at a painting the Picasso, the series of drawings actually I I could point to of Picasso's of, of a bull. Yeah. And he's constructing a bull and you might think you go, you see all the order, the whole order of these, these, these sequence of pieces. And what he's doing is deconstructing the bull. You see it, just break it down into, it starts off as the bull and then it becomes a few lines Mm. and it's kind of taking what we know and, You know, cutting it open. And then, in the beautiful way Picasso does, just leave it there. You know, don't pack it up in a bow again, just leave it there.
0: Mm. And uh, yeah. So it's almost like there's this elemental process that kids naturally engage in. And that elemental process is both really, really powerful because it quickly reinforces for them some of the fundamentals of how the world works. If I let go of this, it falls to the ground. Gravity, cool. That's the upside is kids are natural explorers who are just constantly finding how how things work. The downside is that at some point, I hear you saying, as we become adults, we confuse the end result of that process with reality. In other words, reality is the process of always learning new things and there's always something new to discover. But at some point as adults, we kind of think that we've reached the limits of what there is to discover and have let and have lost sight of the very process that helped us get to that that moment that we're at now and it strikes me that adults as adults like along the way we unfortunately accrue some baggage around shoulds and supposed to's and fear of embarrassment or fear of failure or expectations about what's socially appropriate And to a certain extent, great. Like we can't just all be terrible to each other or we wouldn't have a society. But at the same token, if we're completely conformed to these rules that we've created in our head, we lose that access to creativity and to discovery. And I'm wondering, one, does that resonate with you as, as at least part of the challenge of working with adults? And two, how do you draw people back in? Like, how do you, how do you, how do you Picasso them? How do you kind of be like, okay, you're living inside this wall right now. Let's take it down to its elementals again so that you could maybe draw something new.
1: Well, yeah, so it certainly resonates. I really appreciate uh, the way you're, you're connecting that and the way you're speaking about it. Um, how do we draw people in? You know, I think when we're in a room uh, with people, first we need others to change. Mm-hmm. you know, and that, that's a danger. you know, it's, it's dangerous, it's scary. It's a vulnerability because I'm in a room with a bunch of people. They might be my colleagues. They might be my friends. They've known me to be a successful person in this way. And yeah, you know, the opposite of innovation in the moment, you're getting them to innovate, you know, not product. Um, I'll just touch on that for a second with what you were saying too, is just, we get so involved in, what we're making. And it's so important. It's like, what's necessary to create in the world right now, given this, I'm looking out my window here, like and given the circumstance in this world right now, what's necessary for us to create. And then while we're in that moment and that we're so focused on the products, the things we bring out, how things come out. Um, and then what we're doing is saying, uh, in cahoots with that, in relation to that, how, do we create what's you know necessary about how I create Mm. and how um how to be in this world today Mm. I believe is so much about us so much and so important to what we create maybe even maybe even more than what we create is how we create together um and I think um drawing attention to that is what brings it out. So that's why I'm making that part objects. So we entangle in, in I, I have a product, something comes out of me, some output, some uh, skill, uh, you know, Michael Jordan with the basketball shoots and it goes in whatever he did to do that, get it in. He's going to keep doing that. And it gets entangled. There's like 30, 40, hundred skills that go into doing that, mm-hmm. but he's kind of entangled. They're all entangled. But the combination got it in. Each time it works, I'm gonna leave it at that. Put him in a different product, in a different sphere. He's gotta do that same skill, that same action. It's not it may or may not work. He just tried baseball, you know, it may or may not work because he's entangled all these experiences, mm. all these skills into that experience. And he's trying to do it again. He may have skipped a few or some things worked in a certain way. So mm. when you unpack like how you make, not just what you make,
0: mm.
1: you can get involved in like and it's a practice of doing that. So, um, in real short, what we, the, the process or like not even the process. I I don't like that word. It's, it's a, it's a pedagogy. It's a andragogy. It's for adults. It's how do we, we start off oftentimes, especially with an executive in the room or, uh, you know, expert of any sort in any domain and, make it safe, make it a place where, and and often it has to start with here, with the Mm -hmm. cognition, with the, where we're thinking, because I find in my work that most people find the the center of their intelligence in their brain. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oftentimes the detriment though, other centers of intelligence, Mm -hmm. you know, we want to get it from the brain to that three foot journey, to the arms, to the hand, to the fingertips, to where you're making, but we start with the brain, and give support and challenge. You know, say, okay, so you're great at this expertise. You're great at this thing that you do in this domain. And what we're going to do is we're going to try something in another domain that actually is simulating what you're doing in your, you know, we don't tell them that, but we're, we're actually simulating it in the, I just gave it away, simulating yeah, it in another the the space. Out, <laughs> <laughs> and we're simulating that thing. And then in that moment, it usually works. How come it's not working here? And so we set them up in a low risk low risk domain like art for example mm. which it's low risk to them because they often don't make art for an artist this is a really high risk domain you know mm. so taking them out of the boardroom we're simulating the kinds of actions they might take in a boardroom and we talk about and we set them up to kind of fail that thing that they do and really quick and say, well, why did it fail? Well, all these things, etc. And they can just start talking about the actual like reflection on what they're doing, and then mm-hmm. set it back into their domain, you know, into the boardroom, into an action with each other in space, and reflect together on, whoa, okay, this worked in that space. How come it's not working in this space? And lastly, they have each other to be accountable. And to work together to figure out, well, how are we gonna apply what we just did in the arts that we were now were successful? You know, they guided us through how to be successful doing in that space. How do we do it here now in this new way? Yeah. And so we guide them through that process.
0: Yeah. And my sense is I wanna I want to see if we can tease out a really concrete example in whatever way you're comfortable sharing. But my, my sense is this team, this this hypothetical team of top leaders that you're talking about wouldn't have come to you if some part of the thing that they were always doing, like the the free throw shot that they kept taking that kept swishing and swishing until suddenly they couldn't seem to get it anymore. Like there's some, some breakdown or some malfunction or some element of their current experience is communicating to them that they need to shift. And my sense is that they don't know how to shift because the, that, that metaphorical free throw shot is so ingrained in them that they don't even know all of the hundred skills that make it up. They just go, oh yeah, we just do this free throw shot, but it doesn't seem to be going in anymore. So it sounds like you're taking them into another context, bringing them through an experience where, where all of those hundred skills or 10 skills or whatever are now visible because each one is new. And once they've gone through that and go, Oh, this is the, this is like, when I make this brushstroke in this way, that's equivalent to when I say this thing to this person in this way over in my work context, is that kind of a, a give a, a feel for what you're describing? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Cool. I appreciate so, it. Yeah. <laughs> so could like, like maybe you can make a, a composite CEO in your mind, you know, this doesn't have to be an actual client, but, Someone you've worked with who had a really clear light bulb moment where they were over in the the space that was outside of their comfort zone and they had a realization about flow or creativity or integration or connection, and then they were able to bring that back into the organizational context and do something like that mm.
1: yeah um, yeah I'll give a uh, uh, an example of, uh, if it's all right, I'm just, what's really present for me is just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, right before the circumstance of our planet changed. Right. Um, I was actually in, um, Westchester County, New York, mm-hmm. just as it was, you know, like mm-hmm. activity was happening there, mm-hmm. um, with the virus. Um, but I was there with a group of, Uh, a a group of executives and the challenge that we were up against was how do experts collaborate? That was the question. You know, so what does it take to make you an expert? And what are the ways that since, you know, our daughter's ages, (laughs) they've been talking through how to do things and getting certain kind of feedback from the world and from themselves around the success that brought them to where they are. Mm. and they've each done that in a different, re- different domain, a different area of expertise. You put them together, they're needing each other to solve these big problems, but everything about the way they've worked to get them there likely makes them not work together. Mm. Well, mm. so how do we understand the space between us and relate in that space? Not just my space of getting everything right, but our space. And how do we disagree? How do we challenge each other without breaking uh, egoic structures and all these things, that, which is why I'm here in the first place, right? That's why I'm here. So what, what do you mean? So so that kind of thing, how do experts collaborate? And so one, one starting point of that we engaged them in was we took a group of experts, individual people who are masters have a mastery level of expertise in their field and their functional expertise and who haven't ever worked before together before Mm. in in, us like, right. So what we picked was musicians. Mm. Each one was a very successful musician on her and his own, right. Mm. We Put them in a room together. We put them in the center of the room. Now the experts, this, this group of, um, executive experts, corporate experts, were not uh, ready. They didn't know that the musicians would be there. The musicians showed up, they walked into a room, and now they have chairs in 360 degrees around this group of musicians. And I'm like, what is going on? I said, well, okay, let's kind of unpack this. And, and the chairs were super close together. You know, they're all sitting next to each other. They're not used to sitting this close to each other. They're not used to sitting um, in this type of a circle with no desk or anything. You know, just a circle. Yeah. Um, so, in a lot of ways, uncomfortable, slightly optimal discomfort is what I like to think about it. And <laughs> and there's a musician, the group of musicians is kind of unfamiliar what it's about to happen. And then I, as part of setting that up, set up the scene and also share with them that actually. I don't know what's about to happen and neither do the musicians. So who's excited about that? And then they're all kind of, this is like a nervous laughter, you know, there's kind of like, like really that's, you know, and I said, well, that's kind of the whole point. So we've got all these experts. We're going to set this up like a lab. We're going to throw these challenges at them. They've never worked together before. Mm. What are they going to do? How are they going to respond and what's in there? And let's, Talk about it. your role is to listen, to observe from 360 degrees and talk in about what you see, what you notice know changing. So they all kind of we had a, a sequence of experiences, but towards the end, I made an observation that I was finding super fascinating. I didn't know what was going to happen in the moment. I was like, you guys, check out the way you're communicating right now. This is to the people in the exterior the circle, the not the, circle. the executives. Yeah. And what do you notice? And it, after a little bit of conversation, they realized they were playing jazz. There was no instrument, but the way they were exchanging, challenging each other, speaking to each other, taking turns. I wasn't calling out people anymore. They were just, they were riffing off of each other's responding. And it's like, whatever was being modeled in that center circle was They like, I I don't know, but we're doing it. And so then we removed the musicians and had them continue the conversation and then shifted the subject to the subject that actually was the conversation they were there to have. Mm. And then for the rest of the day and the rest of the other couple of days after that, the conversation became, are we playing jazz right now? Are we doing this? And it was just a place, a shared, an anchor, a shared experience that they could relate to around, well, what are the things? So we didn't get down to the skills and all these things, but they got, I mean, we did as we were doing with the musicians, but they were aware of what it felt like, this haptic experience about like, oh, this is what's happening. This is where we're at. And they could individually reflect on what they needed to. We guided them through this. What do they need to do in that moment? what were their blocks to playing jazz that they were overcoming? So when they can notice it throughout the week when they weren't there, when they weren't doing that, and hopefully they can bring it back
0: to their teams and so on. Oh, nice. That's such a rich example. And for, for those of us, uh, so I'm a musician and so I'm like, yeah, like, I, wanna, I wish I, I could have been there. That. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall. But many times when we see a performer, and I have this experience, I see a guitar player like, Bill Frizzell, who is in my mind, one of the the greatest living jazz guitarists, just like he can bring me to tears with his playing. And I don't really know, like, I'm like, what is he doing up there? Right. So like there's, so there's sort of always a place where there's someone out there who's performing at a level that it's hard to see the discrete skills. You're just seeing the, you're just experiencing the experience. But what I love, what you describe is you're helping people who are non-musicians, Start to tune into, well, in an improvisational jazz context, there are many things happening at once. There's melody, there's harmony, there's rhythm, there's call and response, there's listening, there's silence, and a and, and hundred other things happening. And if you can even walk away with, with three of those things, how do we work with harmony? How do we work with dissonance? How do we work with silence and listening? then you're, and you're bringing that into a conversational context. You suddenly have a set of discrete skills that you can practice and say, are we playing jazz right now? Yeah. Look at the way this CEO over there is really listening. She hasn't said a thing for the past five minutes, but man, like she's with us. And then you can draw her in. What do you have to say to this? And she can play her notes and whatever she has to say. So yeah, I love that example. And I love the way we can start to tease apart what feels like a cohesive experience and in this case, collaboration of a group and help them see that that cohesive experience is only cohesive insofar as each of them are doing their best to be fully present to each other and play the notes that only they can play.
1: I love that. Unless yeah, I love that. You know, um, <laughs> there's an artist, uh, there's a, a well-known artist named Robert Irwin and uh, he's, there's a quote of his that's also you know it's a, the title of a book of his, but it's called "Seeing is forgetting the name of the thing one sees." You know, and it's like when it like so, seeing is forgetting the name of the thing one sees, and what happens is like. In the board, like if we try to do that same thing and, and put up frameworks and put up discussions and all our research and all the data behind it and how many people change because they do this and here's the conditions that a culture has in an experience where experts are collaborating, then, you know, they're still in the boardroom and they're still in this place like the, the seeing is being stunted. in a way.
0: Okay. Got it. This is a presentation on skills I need to learn. Okay. I see that. Got it. And they're not actually engaging with it.
1: Totally. And it's in here. It's like, it's in that cognition. And then, so when you forget the name of it, right. When you place it in a jazz context and like, I don't know, I don't know music. I don't know what, what it was, harmony. What is that? You know, what, what, okay. When she did something really loud, he did this Okay. And did that make that sound better and make it sound worse? Like what was going on? And did she smile? Did he go? And they're just like doing this thing and having a personal and a collective at once relationship to what's going on and supporting each other in this. And just, it's like, I don't want to call it osmosis, but they're just starting to practice that act. It's like, it's just modeling is what's happening. And they're able to see, um, by forgetting the name of it yeah, and then you tag yeah. the name back and it's kind of like, there's a this something is dissonant because you put the name back and it immediately locks it back, but it's just uncomfortable because it's just like, wait, it just wasn't, it didn't work like that a moment ago. It was this whole other thing. Yeah. And then you're helping them walk through that. Mm. Yeah. You're making that active, that, that, that process uh, of reflection object. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, i told it totally
1: with you. Yeah.
0: I <laughs> love it, man. It makes me, there's a question that's kind of coming up out of this space for me, and I want to see if I can get a handle on it for us. So you alluded to already uh, that we're in this moment collectively. It's the COVID-19 pandemic is a global thing. And while it's not unprecedented in human history, it's certainly unprecedented in most of our lifetimes at this scale and I feel like there's a lot you could offer us around resilience and around adaptivity in this space and I want to go there and and I think the first question I want to ask is do you have some sense of in this particular moment Or perhaps just a little bit, if we just widen the aperture by like a decade, over the past decade, if this moment just feels too raw and too close right now, what is it that you would want to help more people forget the name of? In other words, what is it that you would want to help more people see that they're not seeing because they think they know what it is and they've given it a name? Great question. You
1: have an incredible way of um, saying to you before, I just like I so appreciate your way of being and your way of digging into this and I'm just grateful to be on this conversation. This this conversation is so important, I think, for me and um, uh, hopefully for whoever's listening um, in their relationship to it. And uh, just thank you for from making this this way. Uh, um, what would I,
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, what would exactly I do? Yeah. And <laughs> nice. I, and I feel the same. So yeah, let's yeah. play, let's keep playing. Like what is in that, what's possible in that forgetting the name of that we might collectively, what could we maybe start to forget so that we could see it with fresh eyes as a people?
1: You know, I, t- I went right in when you said that, like just like really kind of dig in that. And, um, I think would be giving Mm. I'd want to change uh, or give a moment for us to you know change the name or or release us from the name of giving wow say more about Uh, that yeah yeah you know and uh, because you add you know like seeing is forgetting the name of the thing one sees I want us to forget the name behind giving so we can see it because I think COVID is happening. And all this, the executives that I work, it is crosses from like COVID-19 to executives to an individual at home with her, his family, with your kid, whatever it is. And I'd say universally, almost everyone I've met in whatever country, whatever culture, whatever, our intentions for the most part are so great, like they're so supportive. We want to make more, give more, you know, we want so much more for everyone. And that's what is driving even when we make mistakes or we make certain choices that are really hurtful. And um, so just to grasping with this thing around giving is just that what i find around giving right now everyone the 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 internet you know which is our main source at least in my world the main source of like downloading information is covered in a beautiful way like this very uplifting way like everyone wants to give i mean that we're staying at home right now is an act of giving Mm. It's like I'm giving up my freedom. I'm sacrificing, you know, I'm changing the word a little bit here, my freedoms Mm. for someone else's freedoms. Mm. And we should be honored, commended, supported, uh, uplifted, uh, and aware of like this active giving. And what I want to get rid of, if I can help us get rid of a word, the name of it, of giving, because what I don't like, what I think is hard, uh, difficult around the word giving, is it's an act of like, well, who's receiving? Mm. And it's giving and receiving, right? So there's a recipient. And that means I have and you don't. Mm. Or that means I have something to offer to you. And there's like this, like this, like, um, I don't know. It's like a, I become something when I'm able to give that's also laid into this. Mm-hmm. Like I'm giving you because I have. Mm-hmm. There's like a little quality of that, or because I can. Mm-hmm. And I'm from a place of privilege, whatever that is for every person who is in that space. And I'm so grateful for what I have. And I can give, right? So, so what I what I wanted to be, if I was going to support us in shifting the conversation a little bit from giving, and I had the greatest mentor of my art practice when I was studying. He was a he's one of the great painters, still alive, very um, much in his late years now. He's one of those few mentors that spoke you know, this is classic, like a mentor that comes in and says maybe 50 words to you over, you know, 10 years He's <laughs> like that level. And he walks into my studio one day and he says to me, you're not generous enough. Walks out of the room. And I, look, and I was like, Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. You know, and I've like, I carrying it now, this is like 20 years late, you know,
0: you're not generous enough. And you're, in, you're painting at this point. Uh, this, yeah, this listen. was in a
1: studio. Yeah. I'm painting, but I'm totally dedicated, devoted, committed. You know, I spent 12 hours from that point onward, 12 hours every day for 20 years in a studio painting. Hmm. You know, and he's saying to me, you're not generous enough. And I'm so grateful that I got those words in the early part. So I had 20 years to practice this which is to replace giving with generous
0: mm-hmm.
1: how do i make my reds more red my whites whiter my creams creamier how do i listen with generosity how do i love with generosity how do i give with generosity how do i be how do i speak generously how do i take in this misery this I don't even. How do we describe the, the complexity of what's going on in the world around with generosity? And it just changes it from giving to rec- and receiving, for a moment, to allow us to look at it differently by saying, "Can we be more generous?" If I could wave my finger like he did at the world and say, "You're not generous enough," you know, even especially to the people who are giving, all of us who are giving, we're staying home right now. Can you be more generous? Wow. What does that mean? Wow. with each other, with yourself. Um, so anyway, that's the big.
0: Oh man, I'm hit with a lot in that. One is, one is that to me, the idea of giving and receiving, in, in addition to that latent status of the have and have not, there's, there's a broader container of sort of scarcity mindset. Like if I give you this, then I no longer have it. So it's like, I'll, I'll deign to give it to you at, at an expense to me. And it's sort of implicit, like, hey, you know, I'm all paying this expense, so just be grateful that I'm giving you this. So there's, there's that, like, scarcity mindset embedded in the giving-receiving framework that, that's, to me, seems to start to dissolve when you use the word generosity. And there's another piece in there, too, which is, right, like, there's the painting, there's the blank canvas, there's the painting, and there's the painter. And and Otto Scharmer, who teaches at MIT, talks about this. And maybe you've you've, you've bumped elbows with him since I know that you teach at MIT, as people will have heard in the intro. But it's this idea of like your mentor wasn't saying to you, use a different canvas, use different medium, use different paints. He was saying how you're being in relationship to this, this work of art right now, be more generous. Because somebody else is going to come along at some point and see that painting and they're going to have an experience with it. And in that same way, a conversation, uh, a podcast, uh, an email, a Zoom call, all of these things are things that we're co-creating together. Like the painting is just a painting until someone comes up and looks at it and has an experience with it. And so there's this other piece of like recognizing that There are full three-dimensional people who have as much to, to quote unquote, give, who as much to be generous of for you as you have to be generous of them. That together, that person who may, may have less money than you or may have less whatever than you actually has just as much to give in a generous, open, connected way that you have as the person who's making the art and the person who's receiving the art or the person who's saying the thing and the person who's hearing the thing, that there's a kind of a, an an abundance in there that I'm really moved by that the person who's listening or quote unquote receiving is just as important as the person who's giving quote unquote. I
1: love that. Yeah. It's like the, when the measure moves from, Giving to generosity, when I measure things, myself, my actions, my listening, my being by how generous versus how much I give, the measurement, it just changes. My relationship to others around me, which is so important, changes when I start speaking about generosity. And a generous leader, um, a generous creator, um, being generous with yourself is like, changes it and it's there's a there's it's like a two centimeter difference you know just like the, in a way you stand or you hold your hand or you hold the brush or you hold your tools or you or, or, or how like the two centimeter difference between how i lean in towards you and my and that composition of how you are just changes everything about how you're able to receive how you're able to give how you're able to do all those things when you look at it through for me at least, through generosity. And that just um, hopefully would change the way we see all those other things.
0: And it's like, you what did you say? You make the reds redder or the creamier, creamy, creamier. I love thinking of that in the context of just, its it's not about being anyone other than who you are, but being who you are in in that in like the creamiest way possible right like how can you how can you make your particular red whatever that is maybe you're great at listening maybe you're great at building things maybe you're great at designing things maybe you're great at communicating things so how can you see that skill not as a scarce resource that you have to limit but rather as as something you can do even more of and in the doing even more of it new possibilities will emerge like do, make the design even more designier, make the communication, even more communication, exactly. right? like just like exactly. inviting people into that possibility that they have nothing to lose or by, by giving there's nothing to give up if they move from a place of generosity, it's actually calling them to be even more of who they already are. And so they're just going to light up in a way. It's really awesome.
1: Yeah. And that for me, that was in like the first moment of a master level commitment. And when I, was in a graduate school for art. It was like a, one of the first moments in a graduate school for art. So you're not generous enough. And I'm thinking, we don't have time as a species, as people, we don't have time. And right now we're in a master level class. And it's time to say to everyone, you guys, you're not generous enough. And let's take a stand let's just be more generous. We don't have time. We've got to be generous with our patience. We have to be generous with our love. We have to be generous with our everything. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm with you, man.
0: (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. What was your, if you mind sharing, what was your mentor's name? John Walker. John Walker. And he's, he's alive today. still painting. Absolutely. He's
1: He's in Maine, Massachusetts. Yeah. Gosh, that's awesome.
0: So we've got, um, we still have up to 20 minutes if we need it. And there's a there's a thread I really want to pull on that I think connects to this if you're comfortable sharing. And that's and that's the thread of what happens to your art and to your studio and what we might what people listening might gain from hearing that story, particularly, particularly in the context of the generous feedback to be more generous. And so I'm wondering if you could just tell take a few minutes to take us into this moment. You were a practicing artist working at a graduate level you were putting in you're painting 8 10 12 hours a day more than that in some cases you're making art in many mediums primarily as a painter but using lots of different materials you're in all of these different contexts and then something pretty heavy happens you can, tell us, can
1: you just yeah. take us into that yeah one? uh so i'm uh i haven't been speaking about this uh i you know much and i'm totally into to doing this um but it's still new for me to 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 speak
0: about this uh are you yeah, sure you're okay sharing the story i know you shared it with me privately yeah. so we can yeah, go in another yeah. direction if
1: you're yeah i yeah, know it's probably it's it's good um yeah, thank you um uh and i did it once publicly and someone had interviewed me for for a, a book that he's he's he wrote um, Um, so, so here's what, so, yeah, so I've been painting and, uh, please guide me in this as I'm getting to where you're, because I'll probably get lost in the details. Um, so, uh, but I lost, uh, I, well, I, I was painting very, very, um, Intensely, it was. It was. It was subject to me. I didn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I. I was. Years. That's all. I, yeah. And I'd done it at this point for about sixteen years straight. Um, six, often seven days a week. Um, Twelve hours, like you're saying. Uh, different countries. I was a teacher in the space. I was in galleries. I was in museums. I was selling my work. I was in a major studio. Um, I mean, I was in that track, uh, um, international arts studio, practicing artist track. And, um, uh, I left my studio for a few days. There was, um, the, for, for the first time I think ever, I left my studio for more than a day or two. Um, I left for four days and when i came back to my studio it was just during the winter break at the university where i was uh teaching and um so during the winter break there is they they turn on the heat and that you know it's again winter and they turn on the heat and the heat kicks in this was an old building with uh you know those old radiator pipes, those round metal Mm -hmm. radiator pipes Mm -hmm. and there was um Uh, it was a hundred year old moldy water in these pipes, very old building. And it was already leaking a little bit, but we had a bunch of maintenance people coming in all the time and kind of me anyway. So I leave, I come back and it was like a horror scene. Um, basically I opened the door and, you know, I was in the business of making things in a lot of ways. Um, on the business side and the business of making things. Um, in addition to being, you know, it's also, and, um, everything that I had made was destroyed. I walked into my room, <clears throat> excuse me. I walked into my room and, and the floor was covered in white and red and yellow pus mold on everything. I had, you know, it's one point in my during this time, this career that I was in London. I had a key to a press that was given to the Queen in England uh, in 1850 in the Great Exhibition. I got the you know I, I earned the key to opening this press. I printed print like made these prints, like and it was and it was all on the floor in pus. I had over 500 books. Signed, you know I finished my PhD. Um, at the time I was finishing up my PhD, but I had all these books and uh, signed by artists. You know, they're tools. They're not, uh, they're, they're tools for an artist in many ways. Uh, and they were tools for teaching as well. They were tools and they're all on the, like uh, the, the, the shelf had fallen. The books are in pus. Um, so like my entire career, my paintings off the floor, uh, off the walls, onto the floor. It's just, it was all gone. And so, what was gone wasn't the things I was making only it was my uh, it was just everything to me. You know, it was uh, my identity. It was my, at the time, it was everything. And so this was a real fast way of making object, (laughs) making subject object uh, and making me realize, even though I was in the practice of it, how I was being, not just what I was doing. And like what I was saying earlier in our conversation, it was just like, this was my journey, like the change in my journey to like being able to articulate development, to being able to articulate and study and get, you know, for about five, six, almost six years now, I've been deeply in this inquiry around adult development about studying that and practicing the parts of this and translating my practitioner, you know, my, my work in the arts and into this lens or this lens and looking at my artwork and how I was doing that. And it makes so much sense to me. Like my meaning making has been rebuilt around this mm-hmm. and my work um, that we're talking about. Um, but um, it was a moment that I had to, it was a total transformational mm-hmm a transitional moment that I think like you're saying is um, what so many people and we as a civilization, a global civilization are facing right now. We've all just walked into our studios and everything's covered in pus. Yeah. It's all been fallen, everything we've made and being generous, you know, um, with ourselves um, Continuing to make art, even if it looks different. Um, but what it is that we were doing, how we were being is still so critical to us. It's so good. We just need to look at it through this lens and continue doing it just in a different domain. Like we're, you know, like this low, you know, like when I take the exact, put it and look at it in front of jazz group is what I'm saying. Um, just we have to look at it it's, it's, how are you doing and practicing your skills at home your children right now, how are you doing these things? When you go back to zoom calls, how are you doing these things? And, you know, that took me a while, but I can certainly, and I'm called to um, guide people in doing this the way I, you know, and not just that, but the practice of making art is an ongoing practice of that act. And it took me a, a while to realize that, understand that fully. I'm still understanding that and unpacking it in a lot of ways, but the actual act of showing up to a blank canvas that has everything on it. And what you're doing when you paint is you're covering up what you don't want people to see.
0: Mm.
1: It's the reverse. Mm. And what that means and you know, that is an act that's an ongoing act for artists mm. Um, in different ways. And I've been coaching artists to do that for a long time. And that's what I would hope for all of us to be able to do is this, this moment calls us to be our most creative, mm. to make our whites whiter, you know, to um, and to make object how we are as leaders, not only what we do.
0: Mm. All right, Don. Thank you for going there. I know that that was... I sense that that was one of the most, if not the most defining moments in your life. And I sensed that a part of you was really generous with yourself and letting you take the time you need to take to grieve that loss, to recover from it, to make sense of it, to live with it. But that insight that you walked away with, It's such an important insight, and I want to underline it for everyone listening. The art itself was gone. The object, the physical object, the paintings were gone. The books were gone. And that is unequivocally a painful loss for anyone who's losing something they care about at any point in their lives, whether it's happening in this collective moment or in a private moment. There's no denying the painfulness of that loss. But at the, at the end of the day, the only reason that art existed in the first place because, was because of a, a way that you were being in the world, which was to stand in a certain way in front of a blank canvas and to choose to do or not do something. And what I hear you saying to everyone right now is we all have a choice. We can't choose always choose the canvas we're standing in front of we can't always ensure that that canvas is going to persist but as long as our hearts are beating as long as we have the will and the mind to act we can choose how we engage with whatever life is putting in front of us and that that gift that creative gift that agency is is the place where we all need to stand especially right now when it's very clear (laughs) that things are not how we thought they were but I would argue that actually the virus is just underlining a reality, that, that life is unpredictable, that there's so much outside of our control, except for how we show up, how we're being in any given moment. So thank you for bringing us into that possibility, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. Gosh. <sighs> I feel like that's, an, that's a powerful place to end this conversation. I wonder if there's anything else that you feel called to speak into this space or speak to the, those who are listening, if you feel like that's the, or if you feel like that's the place to end this as well. I agree. I think it's
1: the, um, it's, it's a good moment to end. Uh, and I having also a hit um, like of something that I, it's like, that's like, it's like it's in my gut that I want to, if I can have like, I think I can do it in a minute or so. Yeah, yeah, please. um, What happens in this moment is a softening. It's like we've all just jumped out of a plane or something. We're skydiving, you know, like, like, ah, you know, and then something softens as you do it. And you're super vulnerable uh, when that we're in a vulnerable place. Yeah. And when we get soft and vulnerable, it's a moment of really, really high potential to be our most create creative in that vulnerable place because our meaning, meaning making structures have been destroyed in so many ways. Mm. So as it's destroyed, it's like we have to pick up the pieces and put it together in different ways. We're like looking on the ground. Oh, I found this thing, and I found this thing. You know, it's like a jar of something has fallen over, and you're trying to pick up all the pieces. And so there's an opportunity, a really high opportunity that those pieces are not going to come back the way they were.
0: Yeah.
1: And that opportunity for something creative to come out of it is really high. Mm. And what I'm nervous about, in my experience, is it's a really high potential for the exact opposite to happen as well. Yeah. It's like a super high moment for you to want revenge, for you to be upset, for you to like regress into old, old, old meaning habits since you've been four years old, two years old, you know, that you've been building, building, building. It's the time where you say, forget this. It's not going to work. This got me to hear that, And it's this high potential for things to go back the way they were, even worse. Uh, whatever that means worse, you know, and to stop us from our development is really what I'm saying. To to, to disengage with my growth as a human, as a person, and my, my generosity to myself, my potential in a positive way. And what I hope for all of us is that we don't choose that direction, but we choose the choice of like, well, let's try this in a new way. And the one thing I can offer around that, that I would hope that we can do is whenever we try something new, right? It doesn't, we hear about beginner's luck. And even if you have it for a moment, we also know that beginning trying something new, if you've got kids, if you've got, if you're in the experience or pra- practice of doing this, the painting doesn't look good. You know, it looks ugly. It looks muddy. It looks different. Ugly isn't different. It looks unfamiliar. It looks like you hurt you like fall flat on your face. It's like a big belly flop. And to embrace our expert fumbling. Mm. You know, it's not a fumble. It's an expert fumble.
0: Mm.
1: You know, when you watch an athlete fumble, it's, there's an elegance to it, you know? Uh, And so that's what you're doing. You you know, you're not watching a kid fall. You're watching an expert fall. Mm. And if we can be generous with that moment for ourselves, Mm. hopefully that will get us as a collective and as individuals to step in the other potential in the positive side of our growth uh, and our maturity.
0: Yes. Here's to creative generosity in the face of the unknown, man. Thank you for inviting us into that. I hope that all of us, as best as we're able, choose the uncomfortable creative generative path as opposed to the fearful regressive path. Thank you for being on the Wonder Dome, time. This is really a pleasure. Uh, I'll make sure that uh, people get all the info about you in the show notes. But just real quick, if if someone listening wants to go find you online right now, where what's the base, best place for them to land?
1: Uh, my website is called madetotilt.com. Uh, the name of my organization is called Tilt. And uh, that's the best place to find me. And then, of course, at MIT at the Sloan School. You uh, can look me
0: up and my email's there as well. Great. Shapira, made thanks everyone for listening in thanks for being here my friends looking forward to the next one take care thanks for tuning in to the wonder dome this podcast was produced by me andy cahill with support from john nolan at middle mountain studios the theme song was written and performed by todd merston you can find the wonder dome wherever pods are casted if you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love on the review boards. And if you're interested in learning more about my transformational coaching work, or if you'd like to get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings, sign up for my newsletter at mindfulcreative.coach. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.